UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And as always, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Now in John chapter 1 verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you've been around church or indeed Christmas for any length of time, the idea of light shining into the darkness as an image of Jesus being born, well, it's a familiar idea, isn't it? And on one level, it's really easy to understand. I mean, it's dark, you put on a light, and the darkness is driven back by the light. And the truth is, as long as the light shines, the darkness cannot come back in. But what does that mean for the lives we live. And especially at a time when people are afraid both literally and metaphorically of the darkness that threatens to impinge on our living. What does it mean? Well, in Isaiah 60, it says that in a time of great darkness, the glory of God will be seen on you and nations will be drawn to your light. So, in the light of that, What, or indeed who, is the light that the Bible talks about? How do we find it? How do we share it? How do we make sure that what shines from us is serving the truth of light? Are we the light to the world? Is Jesus the light to the world? Is God's word the light to the world? And is the biblical view of light and the imagery around that thought of light the same as our everyday understanding. How do we let the light in? Well, joining me to explore this this week is Paul Coulter. Paul is Executive Director of the Centre for Christianity in Society. Christianityinsociety.org is their website. And given, Paul, that the very first command that God gave was, let there be light... What does the Bible mean when it talks about the light shining in the darkness? Well, thank you, Paul. It's great to be with you and to be talking about such a, an important and exciting theme. And I mean, you're quite right that at the very beginning of creation, God says, let there be light and there is light. And of course, in the physical world, we realize the importance of light, as you were saying in your introduction, if we are in darkness, those of us who are sighted, at least if we're in a dark place, which is not a terribly common experience in the modern world. I remember when I was younger and power cuts were a little bit more common. Hopefully they don't become more common. But, uh, you know, if you're in pitch darkness, then then really you're stumbling around. You have a very limited understanding of what is around you. You see uh, maybe nothing at all. You can only feel what's close to you. Uh, and so that light shining in the physical world is both uh, giving us understanding, awareness. It is truth in that sense. We see further, we see more, we understand better. But the other thing about light in the physical world is that it's also life giving. So the the light of the sun in this universe, the, this solar system that we live in, is really the source of all of the energy mm. on this planet. So whether we get that literally from solar energy or from winds that are moved by the the, the climate, which of course is governed by the, the, the sun as well, or whether it's locked away in fossil fuels, which was plants and animals that of course got their energy from the sun, uh, either directly or through plants. Light both gives understanding and awareness, but it also brings life. 
And so when we think about light in spiritual terms, the, the metaphor of light, if you like, for thinking about the spiritual aspect of our existence, we need light for both of these reasons. We need it because we need to understand, to see. We need God's truth to see things the way they really are, not stumbling in the darkness, fumbling around, trying to make sense of things. We need God's light to reveal how things truly are. But we also need the life that God's light brings. And you see that in John 1. It says that the light that was shining is the life of mm -hmm. the world, the light that brings life to every person. And I wonder if that's something that we we grasp sufficiently when we talk about things like the birth of Jesus, and we'll we'll cycle back to that in a little bit, the idea of creation when God said, let there be light. We do tend to assign it an almost twee, simple, perhaps even superficial idea that it's, oh, well, it's lovely to see the light of the sun on a sunny day, isn't it? And it's just, it's warming, it's comforting. And, and we, we give it that superficiality when actually it both literally and metaphorically, physically and spiritually, is a far more fundamental root of it all reality. No, that, that's certainly true in the physical world as we experience it, but in the spiritual world too, uh, you know, you've got to try and imagine, which is really hard to do, that you've lived your whole life in pitch darkness. So just, you know, try and experience and Maybe listeners might want to go into a dark room, turn off the lights, close all the, 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 the little the doors and so on and just experience that. And, and then after a period of time, switch on the light and see the absolute difference that it makes. Mm -hmm. So it's not simply that, the things close to you are somehow different, um, but that actually everything becomes clear. You can see what's further away. You can see where the things that are close to you fit into a bigger understanding. So I've always loved uh, a little phrase by C.S. Lewis, have to quote another Northern Ireland man, although he spent most of his time in England, but he said he believed in Christianity as he believed the sun had risen, mm. not only because he could see it, but because by it, he sees everything else. So, you know, imagine that the sun rising and you've never seen a sunrise. You've never seen the world with, with your eyes. And suddenly you have this understanding, this revelation. You see things the way they truly are. Uh, and of course, that's bound to be both startling and, and wonderful and also a little bit scary, I yes, think. Yes. Uh, because there might be some things you would rather not see. <laughs> And that, of course, is an important part of the imagery of light in the Bible in that it, it shines in the darkness, revealing the unpalatable as well as the palatable, the, the things that are a challenge as well as the things that are a blessing. Yeah, certainly if you move on, I mean, John 1 sets up this image of light in John's Gospel. And when you get into John chapter 3, uh, and just after what's probably the most famous verse in the Bible, or certainly one of them, John 3.16, uh, it carries on and it talks about that image. It says that people would prefer to stay in the darkness. Um, I sometimes imagine that, you know, when I was a little kid trying to help my dad in the in the garden and you turn over a stone and these little creatures that live in the dark just are scurrying everywhere to try and get away from the light. Because, of course, when the light shines and the stone's turned over, they think it's probably a bird or some other predator that's going to 
gobble them up. Uh, and it's like that when you step into the light spiritually, morally, it's going to expose things yes. that you've tried to keep, keep hidden. And that's an uncomfortable thing. It's an uncomfortable thing, particularly if you think that the God who's shining that light might have it out for you, is there to destroy you. Uh, and so we have this tendency to want to keep some things hidden, to have those hidden recesses of our lives. But what Jesus says is really step into the light. That's what we need to do. And, and that might be tough. It might be painful. It might take some adjustment, but it's actually the source of life for us. Do you think there's a need for us to reassess our attitude towards darkness? Because there is a sense in which, in terms of the language we use, if not in the actuality, I mean, when it is pitch dark, that can be quite scary. There's a reason that I bought a torch for when I'm taking the dog a walk in the fields in the middle of winter, because they, the dark hidden shadows can be off-putting. But... We also have a an attitude, a language, I suppose, that we use quite a lot about darkness being comforting. So we we drop into that, oh, I need to go and lie down in a darkened room. You know, that when I'm stressed, that'll be a place that helps me relax. And that can, I suppose, sow seeds that make the prospect of stepping into a harsh, bright light that illuminates an unattractive thing. Maybe we need to change our language a little. Um, per perhaps, but I suppose, you know, I think even in our everyday language, generally speaking, darkness is seen as a a, a negative thing and, and light as a positive thing. But uh, certainly if you've got a migraine or you, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you just need to get rest, there is something about that dark night. But in that physical world, you get that in the Psalms and some of the beautiful Psalms of David where he talks about that and the, even the dark place becomes light for him. So I think whereas in the physical world, we need dark spaces for sleep, for rest, uh, just to withdraw from being hyper-stimulated. Uh, the fact is that spiritually, darkness is never a good thing. No. It's always uh, a place that you want to stay away from. And, uh, and the life-giving light of God is where we, where we ought to want to live. Uh, and I think knowing that through life, I mean, metaphorically, again, we face some pretty dark experiences in the lives that we live. So knowing that God's light is constant, metaphorically, spiritually, uh, then that's a, that's actually a comforting thing, even in the physical darkness with the fear and uncertainty that often goes with that, even though it may be that it brings some comfort, God's light continues to shine. You're listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond, talking this week to Paul Coulter. Paul is the Executive Director of the Centre for Christianity in Society. Christianityinsociety.org is their website. And we're talking a bit about light and darkness, because you can't talk about light without talking about darkness, can you? And highlighting the fact that light is the place of life. Light is a place of awareness and knowledge and sight. Darkness is a place of well, shadows that cause fear, perhaps ignorance, uncertainty, being, un being unable to navigate effectively through the situation that you are in. And as we have in the Bible this call that we should let the light in, well, we're trying to identify this week what that light is and how we find it and indeed how we let it in to our everyday lives. So I suppose we should start, Paul, by acknowledging the, the fact that the Bible is very clear, that God 
is light, but also that light is important for him. I suppose he could have used any image to portray himself. Why do you think light is what he landed on? Yeah, that's a, a very good question, Paul. And um, I suppose I would I would tease that out a little bit in saying that I sometimes wonder whether the images that are used in Scripture, whether whether it's so much that God chooses an image from our physical experience to help enlighten us, or whether it's the other way around, that God weaves into our experience of life, experiences that actually are helping us to understand who he is. So uh, with that in mind, if we think about what it would mean to say that God is light, and I think it is a very important truth, it's probably one that we might neglect. It comes in First John chapter 1. Uh, and I think I hear more, much more often a, another quote from First John later on where it says God is love. That's also a vitally important truth. Mm -hmm. But actually, these two truths belong together. And when it says that God is light, what it is saying is that there is no impurity in him. There is no darkness. There's no hidden recess. There's no shadow of turning, as another scripture puts it. He doesn't alter he doesn't change he is constant and he is pure and his goodness and holiness is is total is complete again in first timothy 6 it talks about god dwelling in unapproachable light and that gives us the sense of the holiness of god that mm. we dare not approach because again it exposes our darkness and it, it, it it's a, a a sign of of, of his absolute purity um, and certainly when it comes to First John 1, that's very clear. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all, it says. And then it continues to talk about the implications for that, for us of that truth uh, as to the need for us to come into the light and to walk in the light. And it is, when you think about it, that, that image of purity of light. I mean, that is a very stark thing. I think for, for most of us in the UK, we don't often get a chance to see sort of sharp, pure light because there's usually a cloud somewhere and a bit of rain falling somewhere. But when, when you know, we've had that experience where you find yourself in some foreign clime where the sky is an azure blue and the, the sun feels as though its light is so bright and so it's almost sharp the distinction and the the clarity that it brings and that's what we're talking about when we talk about god it is that degree of clarity and distinction and 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 purity that is a beautiful thing no that that, that is true and it's when we hold those two truths together god is light god is love that actually the love of god becomes all the more profound because here is a god who in his purity and holiness, without diminishing that at all, without turning the dial down and, you know, saying to, to us, it's okay, you know, I can live with your darkness. Well, darkness never overcomes light. They don't coexist. Um, who, who says, but I, but there is love for us. Uh, and that's the this wonderful truth of the gospel of mm -hmm. scripture, that, that it's not that God overlooks our sin and our evil and our impurity, but that God in his love shines light that can purify us and uh, we know that even in the physical world light uh, and there uh, i'm not an expert in this by any means but it's a great purifying yes, bar if you yeah. shine intense ultraviolet light 
uh, on on equipment and so on. It can purify it, kill off all of the bacteria, the germs, and and I guess that's a, another picture of what happens in our lives with the the light of God. Yes, COVID taught us an awful lot of things about the power of light, didn't it? The Bible also talks about God's word being light. Your word is a a lamp to my path, a light to my feet. Um, the, can we just unpack that thought for a moment? Because Although there's the obvious illumination that we've referred to already, there seems to be something perhaps even deeper and more significant that light is attributed to God's Word, the Bible, but also the inspiration that God brings to our hearts through His Word. Yes, it's. I mean, it, it's quite obvious to us, I suppose, as we live in the physical world that we don't see with our physical eyes the glory of God, the light of God. In fact, we couldn't bear to see that if that were the case. Even in the Bible, people don't get to see the glory of God in its fullness. Uh, and you think about the life of the Lord Jesus, it wasn't visible almost all of the time, with the exception of the transfiguration when he shone with something of that of that glory. Um uh, and so we we don't see God's glory, the fullness of God's light, with our physical eyes. But where we where it is revealed to us is in the Word of God. So it's through His Word, His words spoken to us, His Word written down, and Jesus, of course, who is the Word, the incarnate Word, according to John chapter one, who became flesh. That's how we see. The truth of God, the light of God, that's what illuminates our lives. So we look at the truth of God's word, we compare it with what's going on in, in my thinking, my emotions, uh, my choices, the decisions before me, uh, and I learn from this light of God's word what is what is true. Uh, and you see that in John chapter 1 again, where it talks about, John says, we saw, we beheld his glory, speaking about Jesus, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So how did how did John and the other disciples around Jesus, how did they know that Jesus was God living as one of us? It was because of the grace and truth that they saw in Jesus, the love and the light, again, to bring those two ideas together. And how did they see that? Well, they saw it in, in, in his actions and they heard it in his words. Uh, and that's true always. The word of God in scripture, the word of God who is Jesus, reveals God to us. What is the practical outworking for that in terms of letting God's light into our lives, letting the light of his word into our lives? How do we actively seek to do that for our daily living? Well, I think at the at the very simplest level, we need to read the Word of God a lot more and we need to pay greater attention to it. There's no point having light if your eyes are, are shut, <laughs> you know, if you're not letting that light in. And so opening our eyes to actually see what God's Word says. And I think especially... Uh, I find this, that the parts that challenge me most, that, that's that's where the real challenge is. There's lots of lots of things in the, in the Bible that I love the sound of, you know, these mm. wonderful promises, God loves you, God will be with you. These are great truths. God will bring you to his eternal home and glory. But where I need to open my eyes when it's that little bit painful is whenever uh, it's shining the light on, on a sin in my life, on an attitude that I've developed to another person that is unloving. So, for example, in First John 1, as it continues, it says that when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. 
And how do we know that we're in the light, John says, because we love one another. Mm. There's the challenge for me, those unloving attitudes, those uh, ways that I demonize other people that I, I you know I don't give them the benefit of the of the light of God shining on them and, and his love for them uh, so I need to spend time in the word of God I need to think over it meditate it I need to apply it to my life I need to do that with other Christians as well because we're not just on our own to do that you know they're often the ones who will speak the word from God's word that I need to hear and I can do that for them as, as well it almost sounds as though that it's like a, an active thing then, that if you you take in the word, that there is almost the sense that it's, you take in the word, you have embraced the life, you have in, consumed it, it shines around you, and it, it is inevitably going to shine a light on some of those negative things. I suppose that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. No, I, I, absolutely. It is a work of the Spirit who, who shines the light of God. So in 2 Corinthians 4, you have this, this picture that Paul describes as the gospel is preached, as Jesus is preached, that God shines his light in people's hearts. It's an act of new creation, just like in the beginning. He said, let there be light and there is light. So now the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing in the lives of people. Let there be light in this person's life. Um, and as we grow and continue as Christians, that's what we continue to do. Second Corinthians 3 calls it taking a veil off your face. It says when Moses came down the mountain in the Old Testament, his face had to be veiled because he was shining, reflecting God's glory. Well, let, let's take the veil off. So the sad thing is uh, I'm an expert sometimes at putting the veil back on. I don't want to yeah, look at the light of yeah, Jesus. But yeah. when you do that then the Spirit does work, and it's through the Word that the Spirit works to transform people into the likeness of Jesus. Let's talk a bit about Jesus then, because, and I do like it when we are planning a life issues and we, we send out an email to our guest and we go, give us some thought of your thoughts around this topic and so on. I do like it when they come back with, with full and fulsome suggestions, and you did. So thank you for that. And when you did, you had a section around Jesus. And I suppose for most people, the main focus of the idea of the light of the world is Jesus. So as we unpack what his light is, what he brings, what that means for us, you highlighted his birth, his words, his death, his resurrection, his return. I suppose you've already hinted at what you meant by the words, but let's unpack some of those other ideas as well. So, the light came into the world. It is that image of the incarnation, the baby born and laid in a manger. It's the Christmas picture right there. What do we mean by the light of his birth? Well, one of the, the most famous scenes from Scripture, of course, around the birth of Jesus is the shepherds in their fields at, at night and the, the glory of God shines on them as the angels appear to them. So quite literally, in a physical sense, you get this bursting in of the glory of God into the physical creation that uh, enlightens them. And it, you know they are scared initially until they hear the word that says, this angel who is a heavenly warrior with an army of angel angels, a, an army of heaven's warriors. I always try to retrain my mind about that, not yeah. to think about my daughter in her ballet dress and tinsel <laughs> uh, in the school nativity. You know, you wouldn't be terrified by that. But here are 
the armies of heaven and what is it that they say peace on earth so so this is not an army come to wage war but to declare peace uh, and favor towards people uh, and this idea of light comes up in a number of the significant christmas uh, passages john 1 uh, of course is is very very clear which is not so much christmas from the point of view of looking at it from this earth but the backstory what's mm. happening in heaven as as jesus comes into the world and um, but when when uh zachariah the father of john the baptist is is talking and prophesying he foresees the coming of jesus who will come after his son as a sunrise the sun rising over over israel on people in darkness it's echoing some of the old testament prophecies and again isaiah's prophecies particularly from chapter 9 the people walking in darkness will see a great light that is quoted directly about the lord jesus in matthew chapter 4 uh, not at his birth but at the beginning of his ministry um uh, and uh, so jesus is this sunrise the prophets were shining stars but here's the sunrise yeah. and that is a phenomenal image isn't it because there was light shining in the old testament there was light shining in the the pre-incarnation um reality of, of god's relationship with his people but it's it's almost as though the the imagery around Jesus is that yeah, there's been there's been light, the stars have been twinkling, the moon has been in the sky, but actually this is a sunrise, and suddenly there is this emblazoned image and there's this explosion of light that comes into the world as God goes, I'm just pouring myself completely into it. That's a, a phenomenal element of the 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 I suppose the the tipping point. That was the birth of Jesus. That's right. I think I think it is right to use that image of of the sun shining. You know that the, the light of the sun is so much more intense than the light of the brightest star. So if you, you know, I, I mean, you you don't know what you were thinking when you were born, but if you imagine yourself being born as an adult suddenly in the middle of the night and thinking, oh, those lights are good. Even the moon, that's a nice light. And what, of course, you don't realize is that's just a pale reflection yes. of the light that's going to come yes. <laughs> when the sun yeah. rises. Um, and and in a sense, the Old Testament lights, that's what they are. The prophets are shining like lights. It's real light. It is illuminating, but it's not the fullness of God's light. And there is this both dramatic and surprising um, bursting forth of light, as you say, in the in in the incarnation of Jesus, um, even in John chapter one, which is a a key text around all of this, it talks about how grace or how truth came through Moses, for example. But grace and truth were seen in Jesus, and from him we receive grace upon grace. So it's not saying that there was no grace in Moses or in the Old Testament. The grace upon grace is saying, okay, there was grace, there was truth, there was light. Even John the Baptist. In John 1, it says he was not the light, but later on, Jesus says that John was like a lamp yes, shining yeah, in the in the yeah. darkness. But here is the sunrise that John was foreseeing. Yeah. Here is grace upon grace. It's more abundant. The weight of it is so much more. And I think, I mean, we can get close to that. If you I sometimes find that when you're in the house and you have on your lights and you think it's bright and it's daytime, and then you look out the window and, and you let your eyes adjust to the sunlight, and when you then look back into the room, suddenly it doesn't seem so bright at all mm. because the light of the sun is is multiple magnitudes mm. greater than the, than any electric light that we can we can create.
And you mentioned earlier the this idea that the words of Jesus, they were the, the conduit through which those around him saw the reality of the light that was in him and the light of God given to the world that, that a way of salvation and a way of freedom from the burden of darkness might be made available. But you, you also made the point in when we were preparing about the light that is in and around the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I suppose for many people, the idea of the death of Jesus, well, that was... If ever there was a time when the darkness seemed to overcome the light, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah. And and Jesus described it that way himself. Uh, he, he talks about that in Luke 22, 53. It says that this is the hour of darkness, Jesus says, his rejection. Uh, even in John chapter 1, again, the light shone in the darkness. The darkness couldn't overcome it, but people rejected him. Um, and, and so there were people who refused to come into that light to receive it. Jesus said, you know, while while the light of the world, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So come into the light while you have the light. You won't have it forever. Um, and it's no accident again that in John's gospel, he tells us it was nighttime when Jesus was was betrayed. So, uh, you know, it uses this, this little phrase in John 13 about Judas going out and, and it was night. Mm. Uh, and it, it is a picture of that other darkness. This is the moment of the world's greatest injustice unholiness, darkness, um, rebellion against God, rejection of God, that even the living Son of God walking amongst us, who is is emanating nothing but grace and truth. And and we said, let's say we, because it mightn't have been us back then, but we, we would have done the same. We said, no, I'd rather have these pieces of silver, or I'd rather have my trappings of power in this world, or my own way. Um, and, and so there is darkness. And it's of course, as he hangs on the cross supremely, that that the, the the sun refuses to shine, as hymn writers sometimes put it. The sun sun is darkened. It was darkness for three hours, uh, and I think that symbolizes more than just the darkness of what humanity was doing to him. It's also got to do with him bearing our sins and bearing the judgment, the just judgment of God against our sins. Our darkness um, being laid on him. Yes. Yeah. Our darkness. Is laid on him as uh, as you've said we we uh, are the ones who who lived in darkness. Jesus entered into our darkness as a light, and on the cross it looked as if that light was extinguished. But of course it wasn't. Mm. Um, but it looked like that from a human perspective um, as people watched on. Uh, there was only utter darkness, and that's sometimes how the world appears to us. But just as the betrayal of Jesus happened at night. And the sun was darkened as he hung on the cross. The resurrection happens at dawn. Yes. And again, that's no accident yeah. because the, the workings of this physical world, this solar system are echoing for us the reality of the gospel. The light cannot be defeated. It's breaking forth again. Uh, and that, that death itself is defeated as Jesus emerges from the, the tomb. So what about the return because the Bible gives us this image of Jesus' return. And if his birth was a sunrise, and if his resurrection was a dawn, what about when he comes back? What does the Bible and the imagery of light say around that? Well, Jesus, when he talked about his return, talked about it as as being, in, well, the, the whole Bible talks about it, that, that final day of the Lord as being the revelation of God's glory. Uh, and Jesus will return on the clouds with glory. 
but he also says with light like lightning in, in Luke 17, he uses that phrase. So the whole, uh, I think that does mean, I, I assume that means that there will be this visible reality in our physical world, just as Jesus shone briefly at the transfiguration. We will see him as he truly is, that that glory that was veiled as, again, hymns tend to put it, it was hidden in the veil of his his human body. And, and yet on that day, it will shine as he remains in a human body, that the glory of God will shine forth. Um, but that also means that that light will shine on everything. And, and scripture is quite clear about that. And then on that final day, everything will be exposed. Everything that has been hidden will be brought into the light. And there is judgment within that as well. So there is both salvation for those who are waiting for that day, longing for that light. But there is also then judgment for those who have rejected the light and remained in the in the darkness. You're listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond, speaking this week to Paul Coulter. He is the Executive Director of the Centre for Christianity in Society. Christianityinsociety.org is their website, and I heartily recommend you take a look at that at some point and see some of the resources and some of the very thought-provoking stuff that they have published there. We're talking about light. We're talking about the light shining in the darkness. We're talking about God's light being revealed in the world. We're talking about God's glory revealed in the world and the imagery of the gospel that is light that shines not just to to dispel the darkness of our lives, but actually to take on it in Jesus' death on the cross, to take on himself our darkness so that it no longer sits on us. They're all incredibly powerful images. But of course, one of the other things that we're told, Paul, is that we are the light to the world, that we are actually his light, which is, given the way that human beings are, I don't know, it's a little bit worrying that, isn't it, Paul? Well, certainly I wouldn't want to claim that I or any other Christian is a, a perfect light from God or perfectly reflects the light of God. In fact, when Jesus called his followers the light of the world in Matthew's gospel, he says, make sure that light isn't hidden under a bowl. Mm. <laughs> and there's a lot in our lives that is sort of hiding that light. So that the light is true. It's real because it's the light of God that is shining in us. But we don't always show that the way that we should. Um, so we we know that Jesus said, first and foremost, he is the light of the world. He says that in John's gospel a number of times, John 8, John 9, and also in John 12. But the last of those in John 12, I, I find very profound. Jesus says, walk in the light or believe in the light, rather, while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. Mm. So that this idea of the light of God is not simply about something that shines on us, or even is reflected by us. Sometimes we kind of talk like that. It's like we reflect the light of God, but it's more than that. The light of God becomes internal to us. We become children of light. And again, that's John chapter 12. That's echoing right back to John 1, because it says there that although the, the darkness could not overcome the light, there were people who rejected Jesus. But it says to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the authority or the power to become the children of God, uh, which is a wonderful truth. And in, in our in our modern world, we, we like to talk a lot about human rights. But mm. here is a right that God grants mm. to those who believe in Jesus, that they will become his children. And when we become his child, because God is light, we become children of light. 
which is why Jesus can say, I am the light of the world, and then can say in Matthew, you are the light of the world. It's important to discern, though, isn't it, what it actually is light and what isn't. Because the truth is, history has shown us that people can carry a false light. Sinful human beings can have a light that is actually darkness. It's just because somebody appears to be charismatic and inspiring and so on and so on, doesn't mean that the light that shines from them is going to light our path and take us on the right way. That's uh, absolutely true, Paul. The, the, the light, in fact, Jesus said that be careful. He said it to religious leaders in his day, be careful if the, that the light that is in you isn't darkness because of the light that's in you is, is darkness, then you're in an even bigger problem, if you like, than, than you realized. Uh, and this is why I think the key thing when the Bible talks about us being the light of the world, Jesus said, so let your good deeds shine mm -hmm. before people that they might glorify your Father in heaven. So there are two qualities there that tell us what that true light is. A, that it's good deeds, like not just as I might define what is good, because, again, I can define good as what suits me, frankly, <laughs> if I'm not careful, but that it's what God says is good, so that we are doing what is truly good in accordance with God's truth, um, but also that that good is done for God's glory. So it's not really the light of God. I'm not really being the light of the world. If all the people look and say is, well, he's a good guy, you know, he's sort of a nice mm -hmm. guy or does the odd good thing. And I'm walking around taking all of that as glory for myself. That's not what, what this image is about. It's it's that it's clear to people that that this glory is, is for God, that it is God's glory. The reason I did what is good is because of what God has done in my life and that I acknowledge him as the source of that. So that means that, in a sense, it's not simply good deeds. It also has to be words that give, every time we have the opportunity, that give the glory to God, yeah. that, that make it clear to people. This is not because, I mean, let, let's be very, very clear. Christians must never present ourselves to the world as if we think we are the good guys and better than anybody else. That's utterly not the gospel. But actually, we simply say we are no better than anybody else, but we have a great saviour and here's what he's doing in my life and in our life together as his people. Uh, and that that's what motivates us in, uh, uh, in every good thing that we do. As a, a big fan of Star Trek, I have always been very impressed about a thought about light because what astronomy teaches us is that lights that we see in the sky, the stars, and even to a lesser degree, perhaps the sun, that actually that is light that had its genesis years ago. And in some cases, centuries ago. And in some cases, the fact that the light that we are seeing today, well, the source of that light was destroyed and lost and passed away eons ago and we are, but the light is still traveling the light is still shining i love that image and i wonder if i'm stretching it a bit far when i go so the light of god for all eternity because when we get the image of forever and ever and ever amen god's light is at the heart of that in the bible isn't it 
Yes, it is. I mean, right at the end of the Bible in, in the book of Revelation, it says that they, there is no, uh, they, they don't need any light or even a sun to, to enlighten the eternal city of God, which is a picture of God's people living with him because God and the Lamb, that's Jesus, the Lamb that was slain, he they are the light. So we live in the direct light of God, which is quite remarkable given that elsewhere in the New Testament, it says God's, God dwells in unapproachable light. Yes. But here we are able not only to approach it, but to bear it, to live in it and to live in the life that that brings. And that's because we have become children of light um, through through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as the truth of God shines in the word of God. And as we respond in faith, the spirit is then then makes us children of light, um, and so that's what I mean. Again, the New Testament says that's what we that's what the world needs. It needs the light that can shine from the people of God, um, because this eternal light of God. That's what we need eternally, and that's what we need to discover now, while we live these lives in in the world. It is a fascinating subject when you start to unpack it. The reality of God's light shining through his word, into our lives, all that it brings. For you, again, that concept of letting the light in, what do we, what do we lose? Not so much in a, from a faith perspective, because I think that's quite obvious, but in terms of our daily existence, what do we lose if we do not allow the light to inhabit in us, if we do not become children of expressed light, if we do not set the lamp on a stand so it shines brilliantly, what what do we miss out on if we do not actively, in our daily experience, engage with the light that is our Father, our Saviour, His Word, His Spirit? I think the the first thing that I would say we miss out on if we don't walk in the light is intimacy with God and with his people, with his with our brothers and sisters. That again, John one chapter one talks about the saying, God is light, in him there is no darkness. If we pretend that we have no sin, it says, then the truth is not in us. But if we come into the light, and instead of trying to deny my sin or excuse it, I say, hands up, it's me, I'm guilty. Then actually God's, God purifies us, it says, and we have fellowship with him and with each other. So I can't be walking closely with God and therefore I won't know in my experience the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, and I won't know it in my relationships with others. So you know, I'll be justifying conflict with them. I'll be justifying my lack of love for them. And I'm going to miss out on the blessing that comes from from loving them and receiving their love. So that, I think, is the first thing. And then we're also losing out, out on the fruits of, of the light, as the Apostle Paul uh, calls it. He uses this idea of the children of light a couple of times in First Thessalonians and in Ephesians. And he talks about that both in terms of staying away from the deeds of darkness, mm-hmm. which, of course, you know, those sinful actions, they're destructive to us. They entrap us. They they bring us guilt. They ruin our relationships. But more than that, we we should be known as as people with deeds who do deeds of light. And those deeds of light, both which I think is both actions and words, um, produce fruit. They produce good things, healthy things. And that's a blessing both to us 
and of course to to other people and it's through that way that we live that um it says the light of of christ shines on other people so you know in 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 this world i think part of what that means is when i encounter a puzzle a problem even a news headline and it's bothering me worrying me weighing me down step back from that for a moment let the light of christ shine on that ask yourself where is jesus in that story because all of these big news stories are a story that tends to identify a problem and has a sort of preferred future a hope and and comes up with a a savior figure in the middle to try and put things right you know whether that's uh, economic problems and we need a, a you know a political leader to put that right that might be true it's not that that's untrue but if i can step back from that and remember the really big story that is behind all of these stories of of creation and sin and god's rescue for us in christ and the response that i need to make to that and the hope of glory that we have that will both give me peace in this world and hope but it also is a great motivator to help other people in this world because i want them to know that as well so i think what we miss out on is fruit for god blessing for others peace in our own lives when we walk in the darkness right at the beginning of our conversation paul made the point that the light shines and in its light there is knowledge there is understanding there is vision there is the ability to see the ability to navigate to the reality of our situation the light shines and in the purest sense the light brings life everything that has life in this world is dependent on some form of the energy that has been put into this world by life and when jesus came into the world he came in not as a a little tiny flickering candle in the darkness he came into this world like a sunrise bursting over horizon exploding and filling the sky with light that illuminated every corner and transformed the understanding and the experience of those who would see it and the fact the thought the truth that god would then say I want to take that light and not only impact your life by shining it onto it, but I want to implant it within you so that you become children of the light, so you become sources of my light, so that I shine through you into your life and the lives of those around you. It is a phenomenal thought, isn't it? And when we say that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and we say glibly that god is the light of the world maybe we need to just like paul said take a step back take a look at the things that are around us and see that bigger picture of an explosive sunrise that has put a light in us that shines in the darkness and that as long as we keep our focus on the source the darkness cannot overcome maybe it really is time to let the light in 
You've been listening to Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond. My guest today, Paul Coulter. Paul is the Executive Director of the Centre for Christianity in Society. Christianityinsociety.org is his website. Pleasure to speak to you today, Paul. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Paul. God bless. And if you're able, why not join me next week for another Life Issues as we take some of these thoughts and see how one particular life was brought from darkness into light. Ta-ra! <laughs>